Two hours south of Helen Keller's home is the town of Trussville, Alabama. Every elementary, middle, and high school has the same mascot, and the district prides itself on one Trussville. So it stands to reason that when 15 visually impaired students lacked resources to help them stay on pace, their peers stepped up. Led by two Fun for Teachers fellows, elementary students learned how to braille through a year-long elective called Build a Better Book, an effort that drew the heartfelt thanks of parents and the interest of 12th grade engineering students who wanted to learn from their fourth grade peers. Welcome to Fund for Teachers, the podcast. I'm Carrie Caton, and the goal of each episode is to elevate teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. Today, we visit with one of the fellows leading the Build a Better Book work, April Chamberlain, Technology Director for Trustville City Schools. At the time of her fellowship, April was a librarian who, with the district's four other librarians, researched best practices modeled by Chicago area school libraries to redesign how students work with space, time, resources, and community mentors in order to explore, create, and publish using new media. She holds a bachelor's and master's degree in early childhood education and is actively involved in the Alabama Leaders of Educational Technology, Alabama Digital Literacy Computer Science Course of Study Committee and Task Force, at Tech Birmingham, and the International Society for Technology in Education. When we learned how April was facilitating students' efforts to create adaptive resources for visually impaired peers, we had to find out more. Okay, April. Totally remember your fellowship. I remember the pictures that you sent. That was six years ago? Yes. So when uh, when Liza said, you've got to check in with April Chamberlain, and I was like, okay, and I, I think, I think, because I've been here for 13 years, but then I'm like, yeah, they did libraries in Chicago. They went all over. I remember you saying in your report, we used every form of transportation to get to every place. I uh-huh. said, yeah, I remember that. She goes, no, they're doing really amazing things with adaptations and adaptive learning. And I was like, I got to get on that. And actually my partner that I've been doing this with is Rachel Brockman, who was one of the fellows that traveled to Chicago too. So we're both fellows. So we continue to to learn and work together. Before we get into the meat of what you're doing now, I want to go back even before your 2013 fellowship, because I love to start these conversations with what made you decide to be a teacher? I have a kind of a unique story in that I hated my fourth grade teacher and decided it can be better and should be better. And from that point forward, it's like, I can do this better than, than she did. And I ended up teaching there for a few years. Did you pursue elementary education in college? I did elementary, early childhood. So I'm K-6. I'm now the technology supervisor. So over librarians and over all instructional and technical. One of the quotes in your, in your post-fellowship reporting Actually, I think it was in your proposal. You said checking out books, saying shh, scheduling fixed class times and stamping due dates no longer fit the bill, nor do the newer collaborative library service models fully provide what our children and businesses need. Where in this timeline were you a library media specialist and realized that what was happening in the libraries was not serving the students as richly as it could be? And and how did that lead to your fellowship? 
my role was split. It was an integration specialist slash librarian. At the high school, we had an official librarian, and then I was the second librarian. So I spent half of my time in the classrooms at the school and then other schools and then doing professional development. And so at that time, we had an older librarian who was all about the books. It was not the hub of the school. And we had some, some changing around of some librarians in the middle school librarians didn't have a collaboration with teachers. And so it was really, it's just a space to come get books and go. We were like, it's gotta be better. This is the hub and should be the hub of learning. Why is it not? And so we started doing a lot of research and, and reading articles. And that's how we, we learned about the team that we met up with in Chicago because they had just been awarded the National Librarian Group of the Year. So we're like, okay, what are they doing? And so I just reached out to them based on the article I read in the AASL magazine. And uh, it's like, hey, we're writing a grant, trying to come to Chicago. Would you be open for us visiting or dinner? And they're like, absolutely. But we were able to talk to the librarians and, and really understand how they restructure space. They made um, a podcasting room out of a closet. And so then it just sparks lots of stuff for us. We're like, well, we got that closet. We've got this. We've got that. And I, I want to clarify two things that I think are important to what you're saying. When you're saying we... Those are librarians from each of the five schools in your district. Yes. And it was important to me that all of our librarians went. So three were elementary, one middle, one high. And it was critical because we are one trustful. We have the same mascot, all three elementary schools, middle and high school. We are Huskies. We are one, K-12. So even though the, the librarians we went to, libraries we went to and the programs were for middle and high, we wanted the cohesive vertical planning. So I want to um, progress from going on your fellowship, recreating the library system in your district to adaptations and build a book. Can you mm -hmm. talk about the evolution and how, how we got to this amazing place? So our uh, student services coordinator, um, I had a 3D printer that I just purchased and hadn't really used. It was in my office and she walked in. She's like, we've got you know, 15 visually impaired kids. They've been at the elementary pretty much the whole time. They're ro rolling up to the high school. We don't have a lot of resources, tactile resources, and they're expensive. What can you do with that 3D printer to help? That started it. So I was Googling, uh, Googling, reading uh, all sorts of articles. You know, what can you do? How can you do this? So I started learning different things and how you could, you know, download what others had created um, and 3D print. But I, I read an article and it had 10 ways to use the 3D printers um, to support visually impaired. And in that, one of the examples was the program Build a Better Book. And it's out, out of the University of Colorado at Boulder. It's a National Science Foundation grant. Um, and so I went to their website. Um, they basically did professional developments for public and, and um, public libraries and then school libraries to empower them to, to know what tools that anybody could use to help these hardworking visually impaired teachers who that rarely, you know, a lot of times there's one or maybe none in a school district. So the kids, it would take months before they got resources. It's like, you could do this with just a few simple tools, things you may already have in your maker spaces. But also the goal was not for the adults to do it. The goal was to develop student groups, empower them, and teach them the skills to create. Um, and so 
Um, so I read the article and I was like, I, I so love what they're doing. And I've tried to learn as much of my own. And then there was a little tagline that said, we offer professional learning two days free if you qualify and are accepted. Dang it. If the application ended the day before. I was heartbroken. I was like, no, I just found you. I can't wait another year. So um, I emailed the two leads that were on it because all they can do is tell you no. And I begged. I said, here's what we have in here. Here's our commitment. We beg of you, please, please, please just let us apply. This is what we'll, we'll do. We're passionate about it. I have this librarian. You know, we did it. I must have begged extremely well because the next day I got an email. We'll reopen it for you. And you have 24 hours to submit your application. Submitted it and we got accepted. So Rachel, who was is my fund for teacher, one of the fellows that went with me, talked to her and she's like, I'm on it. Let's do this. So we flew out in February for two days of fast acting. You know, uh, we didn't know how to how to read Braille. We didn't know how to make Braille, but we had makey makeys in our libraries or we knew about them. I had a few in, in my space that I lend out. I have a lending library because, you know, can't afford everything at every school. So I would purchase and the schools could check them out. So we had makey makeys and we had a, a few things, but we get up there and there's public librarians. Um, there's some school librarians. Um, there is a team from uh, California, Sonoma, California, where they are visually impaired uh, provider teachers for their district. And uh, one of, there was three of them and one of the visually impaired um, assistance was completely blind, Eli. Um, and so he was there to say, yeah, this works for me or no, this doesn't. And so it really was like an all immersive 48 hours. Let me show you all these tools. Let me show you. Like I said, I had a 3D printer, but hadn't really done a whole lot. It's all, I would always say, here's how you make jewelry and here's how you do this. And I was like, I'm not wasting my money on filament to make a jewelry. So I wouldn't let anybody use the 3D printer because you, you could have purpose. Um, but they, we had different, uh, we, they showed us how they used their laser printer to create um, uh, memory games. And it just burns in the shapes. We're like, oh my gosh, I want a laser printer, <laughs> like $3,000. So I don't have that one yet. But, um, but then they, they showed us how we can uh, create 3D designs in Tinkercad, which is a free software I didn't know anything about. So they did these hands-on sessions. So we learned how to create in Tinkercad. And then she showed us all the things that they had printed um, and then showed us, you know, hey, here's this other really cool tool for it was like 150 where you can uh, add this camera to your iPad and scan a, an actual physical object. And then it takes that scan and puts it into the software. Now you can edit it and then print it. And so, but they never just like, here's the tools, here's the tools. We did see a ton of tools, a thermoform. Um, we, the biggest one that I saw was a peel-off, which is a pictures and a flash. Looks like a, um, just a rectangular laminator kind of thing. But when you print on special paper, uh, it's, it's capsulated paper, um, anything that's on black, when you run it through the heater of this peel-off machine, it raises it. Every time you run it through, it raises it again. Because our biggest challenge was we need to map, we need to produce things on a rapid rate. And by, by the time you take and recreate the, you know, the planets with wiki sticks and all these others, that's six hours. We need to be able to, you know, do fast. I was like, and what were you trying can't. to, what were you wanting to, what was the end goal to produce? Yeah, so, so for us, 
um, you know, we had a, we have a machine that would print in Braille, uh, but we only have one printer and it takes a long time to print. So that we could do, you know, fairly well, but what we struggled on is graphs, charts, images, making those tactile because uh, it took a long time. Okay. So when they showed me that, I was like, oh my gosh, I could go find or, or take as long as the image was clean and not too uh, noisy for fingers, I find the image off Google, print it on this special paper, run it through. And within five minutes, I could have the skull that they need for the science lesson tomorrow, not three days later. So you did all of this learning in, in Boulder, but then from what I understand, your, your elementary school students did the work and they produced. Yeah. So it first, came they back, it first came back because we had to make an action plan while we were there. What are you going to do with this learning and how are you going to continue this connection? And so our first thing was middle school. Cause that's where Rachel, um, the librarian that went with me. So we're like, what could this look? So we pitched cause they're always looking for elective classes always at our school. And so we pitched the idea of having a year long elective class where the students would go through the process, the design thinking process, so it's STEM, uh, but the products would be that they would create materials for our visually impaired kids that would support their learning. Um, and so the, the principal at that time was like, sure, try it. Um, and so uh, the way we, uh, we do electives at our school is we have a curriculum night before the next school year begins everybody's in the gym and you got to pitch your ideas. You're wanting to <laughs> make a class. And so we had all the things that we had learned and we had, um, we just had different stuff. And so any parent that would come by and I'll just have to tell you, I'll probably tear up in just a minute because this was like, Oh my God. But, um, but so we had all this, this stuff and I had made, um, we used a uh, spectrum rings, which, uh, I think they're upstairs, but it's a ring that fits over your finger and you have a, a program on your, um, your app. And so it goes off color. And so I could say this color, when you hear this, it makes a, you know, an, a cow sound or you hear a train sound, whatever. So I take in polar bear, polar bear, what do you hear? So every one of those animals, I'd gone on the internet and downloaded the sounds. So when you, when they press on a special, just colored page that I added tape to the book, it would make that sound, you know, cause it was, what do you hear? So it'd be, you know, the flamingos roaring and all that. So we had things like that for them to touch and feel. We had a braille slate and stylus and had them braille their names. We were just trying to hook them. Um, and so we had, we had um, 18 originally sign up and 14 uh, officially came in and went for the year. But, uh, you know, you, you hope that what you have, it was the answer to the, to my student services, cause we're going to do stuff. Um, but so I, um, so we were pitching it to the parents and the kids, really pitching it to the kids. And, you know, there was this one girl there and we were like, you know, we want to be able to create these resources for our students to have, da, da, da. And, um, you know, and I, I would, we would say we have 15 visually impaired kids. And so a mom said, I, yes, I have one of those third graders that's visually impaired. She said, and we love board games as a family. And up until the last school year, when the visually impaired teacher took the time to DIY tactile Candyland, that their daughter had never been able to play an independent game with the family. I was like, oh my God, you're gonna make me cry. She said, so we appreciate the efforts y'all are going to to make sure that our kids can participate. Let's see, I'll cry. And I was like, yep, we're gonna do it. So 
So Rachel focused on, on the books, the, the tactile books and the curriculum supports because we had two kids rolling up to sixth grade and we didn't have, um, we didn't have all the resources they needed. And so she focused on, on the curriculum. So they made, a, um, they were making those uh, curriculum boxes like deforestation, uh, the weapons of the World War II. And they, so they learned tactile, uh, they learned braille, then they started adding in the makey makey. So they had trigger points and so they would code it. So when you press a trigger point, you, you know, if it was the World War II, you might hear um, a primary source person talking and going through. So it's they were really able to wrap it, wrap it around on that. And then I was able to take that concept of, you know, with my younger kids and because I would only see them nine times and we would take the games um, and, and do. Uh, with the, the very first, so we bought our own pee-off machine because I was like, it, it was about 1400 I was like, this this will make a difference with everyone. Um, and the very first, and the little girl is on the picture showing, I let her run it through for the very first time of that group because that's the sister that has a third grader that was visually impaired. And so I said, what is the one thing that you think your sister would want? She's like, my sister loves to color but you know, they don't make tactile coloring books for blind kids that we can buy from Target or anywhere else. I was like, well, ask your sister, what would she love to color if she could? So it was Ariel, um, Princes of Avalon. So I went and found them and sometimes I'd have to clean them up in Adobe Illustrator so it wasn't noisy. Um, and then I printed them out on the page and she was the first one that ran, that was the first thing we ran through that, that PL machine. So she took them home and had coloring pages. And so it's just the little things that makes such a big difference. Um, but my kids that, the kids that were here at the high school, I mean, the middle school and Payne, because they had friends who were visually impaired in their classes, they were like, I never thought about it. You know, when, when we have our friends over at night and play, you know, this board game, she can't play. And they were like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about that. So they were all like, we need to do this for everything. Everything needs to have this. And they, brailing is, is a little difficult with, because we used the slate and stylus that we could get off Amazon. That's the best way to do it, you know, without having a, a large Perkins brailler that's lots of money. So for $8, anybody could braille. But you have to braille backwards and from right to left. So it's a whole mental change. Yep. Because you put your paper in on the back, and when you're pressing through, you're pressing through back to front. So it took them a little while, but then they were like, hey, I got this. And so they were brilling everything. They're like, read this, tell me what it says, you know? And so we would do, and then, and we kind of naturally had a, um, a spot because I, I didn't want them to pigeonhole and say, you've got to do this. And so we got to the point where, where everybody kind of got some base knowledge. And um, I said, okay, who feels that brilling is their passion? Who feels that creating the tactile is their passion? So they divided themselves up. They were either braille writers or they were tactile designers. And so they, I mean, they were brailing fools. And then my tactile, they did by texture. And then someone said, you know, this just isn't working. And when, when they got to that point, I'd say, hmm, I wonder if we did something on the 3D printer, would that be better? And they're like, I don't know, let's try it. And I knew it would, but I wanted to them. So there was only a few teams that I introduced them to Tinkercad, uh, like the Candyland. They were like, you know, the Candyland pieces, they are all look exactly the same except for color. That's not going to work. So they had to use a design. And then I had one guy doing Connect Forward. He's like, because we had a blindfolds. And the, the way we started off with both groups is we made them play tactile Pictionary. 
So you blindfold and your partner had to do a tree with wiki sticks, which wiki sticks are cheap as all get out. And they realized just because you outlined something doesn't mean it, people know what you're talking about. And so that's what they would do when they needed a test. They would blindfold themselves. And it's like, okay, let's play connect four. And he's like, I don't know how to, you know. And so he was like, well, I don't, where are the holes and which one's in? So he's like, okay, well, I need to do this and that. So we talked those design principles. And it just, we didn't finish them because COVID hit um, and just the sharing of the resources, but it opened their eyes to so much. And that's what they would tell me. And then I would have reflection points. We use Flipgrid a good bit. So I'd make them stop and do ask them some questions. And so they would record their teams talking or individual of, you know, what design principles they were using and, and why this worked and why this didn't and, you know, things like that. And when the principal would, would come in, um, you know, the kids didn't stop. And she's like, how are you handling 40 kids in 30 minutes? I had no, I have one discipline issue one time. So nine times, 40 kids in the same space, nine different teams going with all these different stuff. No problems because they were committed. They were, they were so committed. And that's what we see of, of the middle school kids too. They're, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I could create, I could do. Um, and so just seeing their alphabet book finished and we, because we have some Braille books. So like Harry Potter is actually like nine volumes because when you Braille, it's huge. And so they were like, wait, if we Brailled it, it's going to be like, the book is going to be like this. And then when you try to go over, the pages are going to flop. And they're like, yeah, that can't be. So we found on um, on YouTube a lady that has a stitch for, re- for stitching books that uh, allows all pages to be fully flat and open. So then my part was I taught in groups of kids, them how to make that stitch. So they stitched our own. Now our alphabet book is this big, but they learned, hey, you can stitch your own book so that it lays flat. And so it was just a whole lot of learning, but it was always challenges. Well, does this work? And we wanted them to, to understand it didn't work always. We wanted them to go through that. It was whole the design thinking process, but you know, she's got a, a strong crew. I think she's got 11 this year, uh, but it, it's something that I think will continue on we have engineering classes that begin in seventh grade. Our kids can take all the way up through 12th. I am curious to see how many may uh, be a part of that because in the senior design project, the kids get to choose their own project. There was a group of kids because one of the components for the state one was to make a, um, an accessible book. And they knew we were doing this work. So they're like, hey, what can we learn from you? So we taught them about the spectrum rings, the high schoolers. I was going to say, what can the seniors learn from the fourth graders? Right. They started using it. And so I got stronger connection in with our engineering teachers who have a different, who have uh, resources that we don't. So I am just really curious as when these students transition and roll up, would they continue that uh, passion for making sure everything's accessible? What I will get choked up about is you're covering so much curricular content or meeting standards and STEM standards, but the empathy that I hear you talking about in your students combined with the technical skills that these kids are learning how to make a holistic difference with their brain, with their hands and with their hearts. And with that type of synergy, it doesn't matter what field that they pursue, they're going into that as whole-minded, wholehearted individuals. Those are the types of people we want in our world and in our industries, every facet of our communities, because that's where differences are made. Yes. 
We look forward to using this podcast to elevate more teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. But you can learn from more than 9,000 Fund for Teachers fellows now by visiting fundforteachers.org slash blog, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you, April Chamberlain, for your leadership in forming academically engaged and empathetic young people through your Build a Better Book program. We are also grateful that April will be leading one of our new innovation circles this summer in which a cohort of Fund for Teachers fellows will build community, research, reflect, and implement action plans focused on social-emotional learning. I'm Carrie Caton. Thank you for joining us today at Fund for Teachers, the podcast. Until next time, keep learning.